Well, good morning. I feel like that bumper to the sermon goes faster every week, or I'm slow getting up here. I don't know which one it is, but uh, so glad you're here today. Welcome. I know there's guests and visitors here today for the first time, and especially thank you for coming and, uh, and being a part of our worship experience. I hope when you leave, it feels like home, and I uh, hope it was a good experience for you. Uh, we remember uh, the last, well, really all through January and then last weekend, um, if you have not been around, we've been working through First Thessalonians. Uh, this little letter that Paul wrote uh, back to the church in Thessalonica, a church that he visited, a church that he helped start, a church that he loved. And last week we wrapped it up in chapter 5. Uh, and as promised, I said we're going to look at chapter 1 and 2. Uh, how many of you did your homework? Don't raise your hands. And read chapter 2. By the laugh, nobody in here did their homework and read chapter 2. It takes 10 minutes. You can read it this afternoon. Um, But we're going to go through both of those uh, letters today and talk about a specific topic. But I want to remind us of a verse uh, at the end of chapter 5. Remember chapter 5 was just loaded with Paul's final instructions to the church. He's like, remember this, remember this, remember this, do this. And uh, one of the things that he shared uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 through 18, uh, he said, rejoice always, which is hard. Pray continually, which is hard as well. And to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's what we're called to do, to be Christ followers that rejoice always. We rejoice no matter what the circumstance. We pray continually. It's a constant walking throughout our day with a dependence upon God. And we give thanks in all circumstances. And we have a huge list, right, of all the things that uh, we are thankful for. But today, uh, we're going to take a different turn. Last week, we talked to Tad about, uh, he said, don't worry about the end times. I know you're worrying about the times and the dates. Uh, but we're going to talk about the second coming of Christ today, and uh, I look forward to doing so. And we're going to look in both chapters to, to get a great understanding of the second coming of Christ. And we've shared that people for generations have wanted to know the date and the time. People have written books on here is the date and the time, right? And uh, you need to get ready. And uh, God was a no-show pretty much on every date. Last I checked, every date that people put out, uh, they've been a no-show. He's been a no-show on. And it says in Matthew 25... But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. And then listen to the people that don't know, all right? He says, not even angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. But it doesn't say your basement and your neighbor in the basement next door, I guess. So maybe they do know, I don't know. So anytime somebody comes along and says they know the day or the hour, it's like the Son doesn't even know. So all of a sudden, God told you, you know, He gave just you the information of when when He's going to return. Uh, it's all a farce. It's all a lie. Uh, but he is coming back. And the times and the dates we do not know. And, and Paul even told the church in Thessalonica last, last week, don't be concerned with that. Know that he's coming back. And what you need to do is be prepared spiritually. Uh, be faithful. When he comes back, may you be found faithful in your walk with Christ. And may you be, be carrying out the mission that he's called you to, right? The Great Commission. Share the good news with people all around you. But if we're honest, um, there are signs uh, that we are in the ballpark, right, of, of the last days. Uh, that we are in the ballpark of the last days. And they've been talking about it ever since Jesus ascended into heaven. Uh, but I believe even more than ever that today uh, there are some signs, not just signs in the world, but physical signs as well. You ever driven down the road or somebody on the head to a Reds game, and there's a dude on the corner with the sign reminding you where you're going to go if you don't accept Jesus. And there, you can put a couple of those up. This guy was disappointed on the 22nd, for sure, because it didn't happen on May 21st, 2011. Repent, Jesus is coming soon. You've seen this along the interstate. Save the date. 
He's still saving that date because it didn't happen on, and he was around on the 8th. Uh, but there are signs literally everywhere and all around us. And the reason why we need to talk about this is because the Bible talks about it. It talks about the last days a lot. Paul talked about it. Uh, really, all the New Testament, uh, the apostles that wrote the New Testament, uh, woven into the fabric of everything they wrote, pointed to Jesus' second coming. And we could go through every book of the Bible and find something that points to this Messiah that's coming back for, for His church. Uh, even the first century Christians would walk, we don't do this anymore, we're more like, hey, how you doing, how was your week? But when they would walk around and greet each other, they would say, Maranatha, uh, which in Aramaic would mean uh, that God is coming that the Lord is coming soon, and they would greet one another in that way. But I want to share this before we jump into today, um, that if you were thinking I was going to bring out charts and whiteboards and like maps of the world and who's going against who and, and uh, 59 bucks a month, you can send it in and we'll send you some water from the Jordan River or anything like that. We're not going down any of that path, you know, any of those paths today. Um, I've heard people say, well, they just moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. The Lord's got to be coming this year, right? Um, or China and Russia and it seems like North Korea and Syria and they're all starting to build an alliance. Is at the end? And I'll let people way smarter than me figure that out. But we are going to try to answer a couple questions today that, that are specifically from 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. Uh, this is not a total list of why Jesus is coming back, but we're going to look at it. The first question I want to ask you is, is Jesus coming back? There's many in our culture that, that don't believe in a second coming. There's good, uh, well, they call themselves Bible-believing Christians that don't believe in a real, literal second coming. And they would say things like this, that when Jesus returns, it's going to be more of a, a spiritual return, right? Uh, they say, well, Jesus came once, and uh, then he ascended into heaven. We were going to read that here in Acts in a minute. And when he did that, he left his Holy Spirit for us. And uh, for those of us that choose to accept Jesus into our heart, into our life, that is the second coming, a spiritual second coming of Christ. The problem with that, we're not going to argue that all day, it's just flat out wrong. And the Bible refutes that uh, over and over and over again. And I just want to share just two of the numerous verses that would refute that. And one is found in Acts 1, verse 8 through 11. And uh, we call ourselves the Christian Missionary Alliance as a group of collective churches and missionaries around the world. And Acts 1a, Christ-centered movement. So we, we love this verse. We want to live this verse out. And it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, comes upon you. And, and you will be my witnesses. You're going to receive power and then you're going to receive it for a reason. And the reason is to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, at home, in Judea, in Samaria, and in the uttermost parts. So it was just concentric circles from where they were. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts. We could say Centerville, Miami Valley, uh, the Midwest, and the world. I don't know. But he says, you're going to receive power to go and to be Jesus to these people. And when he said these things, as they were looking on uh, with this new information they've never heard before, he was lifted up. Wouldn't that scare you? The dude beside, like all of a sudden, he's heading up to heaven. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes. I wonder, I'm going to have to ask the guy in white robes when we get to heaven, like, how long did you let them just do this and stare into heaven? Uh, said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taking up from you into heaven, and here's, here's where we would refute it, will come in the same way, he's coming back, 
as you saw him, he's coming back physically as you saw him go into, into heaven. Imagine these guys like standing there, Jesus ascends into heaven, and they are just baffled. And they, the angel, the ultimate goal was to remind them, he is coming back. Do not fear. Go do the work of ministry. Share the gospel to a world that desperately needs to hear the gospel. Revelation 22, verse 20 and 21. I'm going to go through a ton of scripture today. So if you just want to write them down, uh, the header and, and the passage I'm going to, that will be your best bet. He who testifies on these things, this is Jesus himself saying it. Yes, I am coming soon. The physical return of Christ. He is coming soon. Amen, come Lord Jesus. So Jesus predicted he's coming back. Uh, the Bible's littered with verses that say he's coming back. Uh, and if Jesus says he's coming back, we can cling to that. We can have hope in that. It's a promise. And our God is good on every single promise that he shares with us. Yes, I am coming soon. So here's our goal today. Our goal is not going to be to keep talking about, is Jesus coming back? Um, we could make a case for that all day long, but Jesus is coming back. We can go to the bank on that. But the question we want to ask in First and Second Thessalonians, and there's a lot of them, is why is Jesus coming back? That's what I think Christ followers in 2020, we need to know. And we need to understand, when Jesus showed up the first time, uh, how was he received? Not good, right? He was ridiculed. He was betrayed. He was scoffed at. Uh, he was treated poorly when he showed up the first time. How many of you, when you go somewhere and you don't have a good experience, maybe in the service industry, whether it be a restaurant, I don't know, a store, a auto repair store, whatever it may be, and you don't have a good experience, your first thought is, let's head back there, you know, in the next couple of days and do it again, right? No, we don't think that. So why would Jesus, when knowing all the things that he went through, uh, the religious leaders uh, said he was not who uh, he said he was, and, and they were just ripping him through and through, said he was a farce, said he was a phony. They took him and sent him to the cross, gave him a death sentence on the cross, and humiliated him in front of thousands, maybe millions of people. Why would he want to come back knowing that's how he was treated the first time? Well, he's coming back because he promised us he is. And I think these two letters are going to give us some insight to that. And the first one is not one that we like. That's not one of our favorite reasons. I don't often preach about this, um, but it's in the Bible and it's as true as can be. Uh, that he's coming back to judge the wicked. That one of the reasons Jesus is coming back is he's coming to, to end sin and evil for good. It says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9-10, they tell, you how you they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. He's giving the church in Thessalonica some encouragement here. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. The coming wrath. You've heard the wrath, like the wrath of God, right? And the coming wrath, it's going to come our way, and he's going to judge and end sin completely. He's going to destroy evil, and it's a peace. It's a reason why Jesus is coming back. That sin, uh, we may think we can get away with it, but someday... Uh, for those that are not in Christ, that have not chosen to ex experience the grace that God offers us through Jesus, are going to experience wrath. And the bill's going to have to be paid, right? Because God and, and, and His holiness does not mix with sin. And there's going to be a day when that is, comes to an end. 
And Paul reminds this church in Thessalonica, uh, it's pretty big words like wrath, all that stuff. Do not fear. Do not worry. Because you have accepted the good news of Jesus. You don't need to fear. He says again in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. This was not his plan for you. He doesn't want you to experience this, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he didn't make us to be spiritual robots, but he gave us a free will to either choose him or to do it our, do it our own way and to reject him in this life. 2 Thessalonians says this in chapter 1, verse 6 through 10. A little bit more detail on the wrath. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. How many of you are like, I like that. I want you to, you do it. I don't want, you know, you do it. Uh, and give relief to you who are troubled. That's good news as well. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in a blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On that day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. We're going to look at that again in a little bit. This includes you. You're going to be the one, church in Thessalonica, praising your God in heaven when this day comes because you are in Christ. You believed in the testimony that we taught, that we taught you. If you want to write another section down, write down Matthew 24. And we don't have time to go through Matthew. It's a lot, Matthew 24. Um, you could do multiple weeks of teaching on it. Um, Jesus had just left the temple with his, with his, with his disciples. And uh, they're heading home to put their head down on their bed in Bethany. That's where they were staying at the time. And as they are heading there, they stop by a very significant place, and we'll read it here in the first verse that we're going to read in verse 3, and they begin to pepper Jesus with some questions. And here's what they say. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, uh, this is the very place that the prophet Zechariah said that he would return and establish his kingdom. So they, disciples would know of this, you know, the prophet saying this, and, and a lot of the Old Testament, and they would they would know that this is a significant place as they stopped and took a little rest. Well, naturally, they started talking about, how's this thing going to work? When's it, what's the time? What should we look out for? And they say the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? They're no different than us. They're no different than the church in Thessalonica. what they want? Give me the times. Give me the dates, right? And what will be a sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus, can you give us like a half-hour notice? And then we can just give us something so we know the time that you're coming. And Jesus answered this. If you want to know things about the end times, he says, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Remember last week he talked about birth and labor pains as well? I've never been in labor. I've held the hand of her, hers for three times as she was in labor. And one of the things that happens when someone's in labor is the intensity. What happens when you get closer to birth? It increases. And the frequency, what happens when you get closer to birth? It increases and it's miserable. I would say today, um, 
we're experiencing, I don't know to what intensity and to what frequency, the birth pains of the last days with the world that we live in, with how fast information moves, uh, with, with, with the way the world is culturally heading, morally, right? That we are, in, we are in the ballpark. And I think all of us in here could agree, I think that's true. Um, we're going to look at this passage here in a minute. doesn't mean we know the time or date. It could be a long time or it could be yet this afternoon. One of the things it also talks about in the last days is persecution will be rampant. Uh, I was reading some stats this week uh, from Open Door USA, which is a ministry to persecuted Christians around the world. And they don't have 2019 stats out yet, but they have their 2018 stats out. And uh, one of the articles that they had is more people have been persecuted for their faith in the last 150 years than all Christians combined back until when Jesus came. Um, that's a lot of people. Persecution is at all new levels. And let me give you some stats of, of what our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, most of them, they're not our physical brothers and sisters, uh, biological, so we don't think about them a lot. But they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They're going to be in heaven. We're going to be rubbing shoulders with them someday. And 245 million Christians are living in places where they are experiencing high levels of persecution. 245 million professing Christians are living every day fearing for their lives, fearing being in prison, fearing having their families stolen from them, fear of being put in camps. 245 million, that's a lot. To pray for the persecuted Christians around the world is a big deal. 4,305 Christians were killed for their faith in 2018. And they put a little asterisk beside it because there's no way they can get the total numbers because there's no way that people report every single Christ follower that was killed. But they counted 4,305. That's a lot. That's a lot. 1,847 churches and other Christian buildings attacked and destroyed and taken to the ground. A lot of those never made the news. But our brothers and sisters, imagine how many people that affected. 1,847 churches, hundreds at each one. I mean, you're talking tens of thousands of people. That Their life was different after that. 3,150 believers detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. Persecution is going to ramp up in the last days. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Verse 11 in 20, chapter 24, Matthew says, And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Can't we see how easy that is in the information age that we live in? How quick and easy that will be to, for uh, this slews of people to be uh, deceived. Verse 15, we don't have time, we're skipping ahead. The desecration of the temple will take place. The Antichrist is going to show up onto the scene. People are going to think they are inc- the Antichrist is incredible. The Antichrist is the one that's going to rally us all together. It's going to pose as the Messiah. And they're going to desecrate the, kemp- the temple. It says in verse 15, So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that cause- causes desolation, that's the Antichrist, spoken through the prophet Daniel, that the Antichrist will desecrate the temple by putting a- an image of himself in the temple, and he will make and force people to worship this image, to worship the Antichrist. And you can keep reading and reading and reading in this chapter, and it is going to get really bad before it ever gets better when Christ comes back. If you're writing down passages, write this one down. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, it says, in the last days, and then this shares a whole bunch of things of what culturally it will look like in the last days. And as you read those, uh, you can put a check by each one that we're, we're living that stuff out. 
and it's not for the good. 2 Timothy 3, we don't have time to go through that today, verses 1 through 5. So we read through chapter 24 of Matthew. We read about the wrath in 1 Thessalonians, uh, how it's going to get ba- it'd be bad, you know. But what does Paul say? Do not be alarmed. Do not, do not fear. When the world around us is crumbling, when nation is going against nation, when there's rumors of war left and right, do not be alarmed. We are secure in Christ Jesus. Chapter 5, Paul even said in Thessalonians, hey, you need not fear for those that are in Christ. You may experience trouble. You may experience hardship on this earth while you're here, but do not fear what's next. And it's important for us to know, and it's why we wanted to share it, the bad news first, um, that when our Savior returns, He's going to judge the wicked, and He's going he's to root out all evil forever and ever. Um, the problem is most people in our culture don't believe that. They just, they flat out don't believe it. And they just don't care. And uh, they live their lives in such a way, they behave in such a way, they live their lives doing whatever they want, thinking there's not going to be consequences for this. Does our God in heaven care how we live? Yes. Does he care what we do? Yes, he cares. And someday, someday, the bill is going to have to be paid. The sin debt is going to have to be paid if you're not in Christ. And you're going to be held accountable for that. 2 Peter 3, 3 through 9 talks about it a little bit. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And then they will say, hey, where is this second coming that, that's been promised? It's been like 2,000 years. I keep looking to the sky. Nothing yet. There's no way he's coming back. Ever since our ancestors died, they taught us all this stuff in church. Everything goes on as it's always been going on since the beginning of creation. He's going to speak to that in a minute. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also the world of, 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 of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. He talks about we serve a God that transcends time. We think like 10 years is incredibly long. We think 100 years. We think 1,000 years is like so long. What does Second Peter say? With the Lord, a day is like 1,000 years, and 1,000 years are like a day. Now, we're a couple thousand years in since Jesus did what he did for us on the cross. Just a couple days in. Uh, to our God in heaven, he transcends time. The Bible even says that our life is a mist. It's a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And as the older you get, you realize that verse is so true. That our lives are so quick on this earth. That our lives are so quick. And here's what he says. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. As some understand slowness. Um, Instead, here's good news. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You ever look at the world and all the stuff that's going on and just maybe think back the last five years, big, huge things that have happened, stuff that's going on in China now, the brokenness that's in our country, division, and just think, God, would you just come back now and set everything straight and, 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 and get rid of the bad guys and take the good guys up to heaven with you, right? Have those thoughts sometimes. But I think one of the reasons why he hasn't, came back yet 
is in 1 Peter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. Because he is patient with you. And he's patient with me. And he doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want your family. He doesn't want your loved ones. He doesn't want your coworkers. He doesn't want anybody that you have interaction with to perish. But he wants everybody to come to repentance in Christ Jesus. Matthew 24, verse uh, 14, the Alliance always throws this verse around when A.B. Simpson's story back in the day, and he gave this report to the paper. He said, when the Gospels preached to the whole world as a testimony to the nations, Matthew 24, verse 14, then the Lord will come. When the Gospels finally preached to the whole world as a testimony to the nations, then the Lord will come. We serve a God that is patient with us. How many of you are thankful for the patience of God in your life? Um, all of us. Jesus wants as many people as possible to come into a relationship with Him. It's why our vision statement reads the way that it does. Because we don't want anybody to perish either. We say we're pursuing the transformation of communities by ensuring, by making sure, by doing everything possible so that every man, woman, and child has frequent opportunities, like ongoing opportunities, to see, to hear, and to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It should be our heartbeat. It should be your small groups. It should be the people you serve with, the people you live with, to see as many people come to Christ as you possibly can. When this little life that you have that's a mist, that's a vapor, that's here today, that's gone tomorrow, and in all eternity it won't matter really anything else, then did we know Jesus and did we point people to Jesus? So we'll never apologize for asking people to serve We'll never apologize for asking people to invest in children and youth or to give of their time and their treasure to this place. We'll never apologize for asking people to get involved in this church and start taking this gospel outside these walls. Why? Because what's at stake? I've shared this before. Someone's eternal trajectory is at stake. Like where they're going to spend eternity is on the line if they fall in love with Jesus or reject Jesus. And the Bible wants you to be the ambassador to share this good news so they will accept they will accept Jesus. There's a day when Jesus is going to return and he's going to set the record straight when it comes to evil and wickedness in our world. A second one we see is in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1. Now, we didn't go through this, but I want to read it to you today. And we actually just shared it a moment ago. That he's going to relieve burdens and hardship and trouble. That is good news for us. That when Jesus returns, we're not going to have any more hardship and trouble, but we're going to experience relief. And it says here in, in, in verse 7, He will give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. And this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in a blazing fire with His powerful angels. He's going to give us relief for those of us that are troubled or hardship or broken. For the persecuted Christians that are around the world right now, He's going to, he's going to give relief. And not only that, He's going to repay trouble for trouble, is what we read just a little bit ago. And I don't know about you, but every single people walk in this room, walk in this church, or a part of a ministry, whether it be women's ministry or a small group or you name it, and they're broken, and they're hurting, and they're troubled, and they're anxious, and they're worried, and they're grieving, and they really miss their loved one. And the list goes on and on and on, all over our community. And I want you to know when Jesus returns, um, there's an old hymn that, that goes like this, that there's going to be unspeakable joy when he returns. There's going to be unspeakable joy. You won't remember your trouble 
your hardship, the things that you've been about. Revelation 21, I think it's Revelation 21, talks about there's going to be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more heartbreak, uh, no more bad phone calls or bad emails or dealing with relational conflict anymore. No more traffic on 48 at 5 o'clock when you're trying to get home, you know, up and down this road. No more long lines. No more sick kids when you wake up in the morning like, oh, another sick kid. There's no more of that. It'll all be gone. Because we will be with Jesus. And He's going to give us relief of all the trouble and all the hardship and all the brokenness. And here's the deal. If you're in that spot today and you'd say, well, you're spelling it out. You're writing my story right now. I'm about as broken as can be. Tired, grieving, worried, anxious. I want you to stay in the game. We, we have a church that has people that are praying all the time. They would love to hear your story. They would love to pray for you and with you and encourage you. Um, I would love to do that, any of the staff, right after service up front. My best encouragement is don't go it alone. Um, although there won't be trouble when Jesus returns, what did he promise we'll have in this world right now? Trouble which stinks, right? We're going to experience it. And uh, I want you to not go it alone and, and seek out the help that you need. And trust Him. Because if He still has you here, He still has you tarrying on, there's still something He wants to do in and through you. You can't see it right now because there's a fog in front of you, but uh, getting with some brothers and sisters in Christ, I think some clarity will come and some healing will come. And just trust in Him and be obedient unto Him. So when Jesus returns, it's good news, church. He's going to give us relief. The second one is this, in Second, or, uh, second Thessalonians chapter 1. Um, we already read this, but He gives another clear reason of why He's coming back. And it's to receive the glory that He, he deserves. The first time He came, He didn't so much receive that. He was humiliated, beaten, spit upon, scoffed. Um, told he was not who he said he was. People refused to believe him. And uh, people questioned him, right? When he comes back, he's going to experience the glory that he, that he deserves. Still today, there's people all around the world we just mentioned um, that if they just talk about Jesus or they do anything in Jesus' name, it is a, it's a one-way ticket to persecution and for hardship and for brokenness. And I think we take for granted so much that we have the opportunities we have in the States for me to get up and preach God's Word, for you to be in groups and to pray at your home and at your table and with your kids and with your family and at your workplace or wherever it may be. We have so much religious freedom that's just not normal in most places. And, uh, but I'm also sure that if you started talking about Jesus at your workplace and uh, maybe in a work meeting or at the family dinner or whatever and just started sharing, they would think you're a little bit weird, right? Uh, because most people reject, they don't want to hear it, and they don't want to hear the good things that God's doing in your life. And there's going to come a day, and it's been a long time coming, and I think it needs to come quicker than later. Um, I think we've scoffed and we've ridiculed as His children uh, God in heaven for far too long. And at the second coming, the Bible says it will be no longer. There's not going to be any more scoffing. There's not going to be any more ridiculing. It actually says in Philippians that every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. And we can have a choice to do that now on this side of heaven. Or you're still going to do it, even if you haven't accepted him, and then it's going to be too late. But you're still going to be saying Jesus is Lord. And there will be a group of people in that boat 
as well. Our God deserves the glory that's coming His way. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. At Christ's return, Matthew 25 says there's going to be two groups of people, not three, not four, uh, two groups. One is going to be those that have chosen in this life to, to follow Jesus and to love Him and be obedient unto Him. And then there's going to be another group of people that chose to live a life separated from God. Paul in 1 Thessalonians says, I want to encourage you, church in Thessalonica, you are in. And on that day when Jesus returns, you will be the ones glorifying, you'll be the ones praising his name because you are in. But there's some sobering news, some incredibly sobering news, that those that walk through this life and shut out God will experience an eternity shut out from the presence of God. That if we walk through this life and just God, I don't need you. I'll do things on my own. We shut out God in our life. The scary part is we'll experience a, an eternity shut out from the presence of God. I can think of nothing, of nothing worse. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says this, They will be shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. On that day He comes to be glorified. The saints will be glorifying Him in His holy place and will be marveled at among all those who believed it will be joy unspeakable we won't believe it it's going to be an absolute incredible day and he says this includes you because you believed our testimony to you matthew 24 says don't be scared don't be worried don't be fearful um, there's a day coming where we will be praising and glorifying our god in heaven it's glory that he's deserved anson prayed about it just a little bit ago if you missed it glory that he's deserved his whole for, for all of eternity and yet man has chosen a different route. But at the second coming, that's all gone. And he will get the glory he deserves. The last thing I want to share with you is this. And this is our favorite. More songs have been written about this and different books and everything else. Is uh, when Jesus comes back for the second coming, uh, we, uh, as Christ followers, get to go home with him. We get to dwell in glory with God in his presence. And it's an incredible thing. Dan and Anson, if not every other week, at least once a month, multiple times a month, we sing songs uh, that point to the last days, point to Jesus returning, point to the hope of heaven. And uh, one of the songs we're going to sing here in a little bit, the last, the last verse says, He shall return in robes of white. The blazing sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints. My gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore. 1 Thessalonians 5 speaks to it, 9 and 10. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. It's not his plan, although some choose that by rejecting God. But to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, he died so that whether we are awake, we're still here on this earth, or asleep, we've already passed and we've gone, we've, we, we, we've gone from this earth, we may live together with him. That is the good news. Why would he do that? Because he loves us so much. Because he desires to be with us. We're his creation. Uh, we're the ones that, 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 that he loves the most. He knit us together in our mother's womb. And he looks at us and says, I choose, I choose you. When Jesus came the first time, he was ridiculed. He was beaten. You can throw up that crown that he had to wear the first time. He came as an innocent child, right? We always use language like he came as a servant. 
And then he grew up and was started teaching, and people realized this guy is the son of God. And the religious leaders started just brutally um, with words, discouraging anybody to follow him. Wanted the way, wanted this Jesus movement to come to an end. And the first time he came, it ended, they thought, with this crown. This is no king. He's got a crown of thorns on his head. He went to a cross like all criminals do that disobey the Roman government and the religious leaders of the day. And yet, we know he won still, right? Three days later, he rose from the grave. The second time he comes, he's probably not going to have this exact Burger King hat on, but he might, I don't know. He may come down with a Burger King hat. This is all the kids relate. I don't know. But the idea, he's coming with a different crown, right? And at that point, he's going to be called King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He's going to come back as the conquering king. There won't be any more scoffing. There's not going to be any more people ridiculing him. And he's going to come back, and he's going to do all the things we talked about today in these two little letters and more we could look at in Scripture another day. And then as Paul always does, uh, at the end of many of his either chapters or letters, he did it last week in the end of chapter 5, go encourage one another with these words. Go encourage one another with the second coming of Jesus Christ. I was thinking as soon as I said that this morning, the last time I encouraged somebody about the second coming of Christ was like today, right? I mean, most, we don't usually do that. We don't, in our daily interactions, talk about, I mean, I want to encourage Jesus is coming back, you know? People think you're a weirdo. But I think we can encourage one another with the second coming of Christ, with the relationship that we have, with the people around us, in our prayers when we're with people, by talking about it in, in our groups, by living it out, living with an urgency that he is coming back. Encourage one another with these words. I close with this verse, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. He's like, show up to church, quit skipping. You need to get there. And that was just my line for this particular one. As some are in the habit of doing. We don't mention any names in the room today. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I don't know, but the day approaching is quicker than it was for that crowd that heard the Hebrew, you know, letter to them, right? The day approaching is coming soon. And we're to encourage each other with these words. The very first week I talked about, uh, there's two ways we receive encouragement in this life. Sometimes people walk up to us and say, great job. You knocked it out of the park today. You did a great job. Great job on that project. And then there's other times when we get encouragement. You ever had a coach or a parent encourage you, right? You're not doing what should be done. You're not living how you should be living. You're not carrying on how you need to be carrying on. And you need some encouragement to do it. And today I want to give some encouragement. If you're in that place where, man, if the Lord came back today, I don't know what would go on. I'm hoping. I can't encourage you enough. If you're in a place of doubt, uh, to move to a place of decision. And let today be a day of salvation for you. I'll be up front. We're going to sing the song I just talked about. And uh, we'd love to pray with you. Or if you just need prayer because you're in hardship and broken, we will pray for that as well. But Maranatha, right? The Lord is coming, and he's coming soon.